and welcome along to this, the very first Minus 16 podcast. I'm glad you happened to find me. Takes me right back, actually, being behind this kind of microphone, takes me back to my radio days. I used to host uh, radio shows three times a week, live radio three times a week for many, many years, and then switched hats at the end of last year. If you've not yet found me, I do have... A YouTube channel, David Talking Tech and Audio, and on there we talk about everything audio and generally anything I think might be of interest to you in the world of tech and audio. We look at Macs as well, headphones, microphones, you name it. So if you fancy checking me out over there and drop me a like, that'd be fantastic. And if reading is your thing, I'm an avid blogger as well on Medium. You'll find me there with my name, David Lewis, and I tend to write a lot of Apple blogs there. So uh, if you fancy reading me over your morning cup of coffee, then I'd love you so to do. So find me on Medium, find me on YouTube, and of course here on the podcast as well. If you want to get in touch with me, the easiest way to do that is either via messaging me over on Twitter, D Talking Tech and Audio, or you can email me david at talkingtechandaudio.com. If there's anything you want me to mention on the podcast, it'd be lovely to hear from you. So one of the things that took my eye recently was the fact that you are soon going to be able to take payments direct to your iPhone, either from somebody just uh, simply clicking a debit card to the back of your phone or iPhone to iPhone, which I think is amazing, amazing news. Why more people aren't speaking of this, I really don't know. It seems like it's a massive step forward. I first read about it online from Mark Gurman, and he's generally pretty spot on. And it's going to be using the NFC feature, which is already embedded within your iPhone. Using that, somebody can, as I say, can simply tap a credit or debit card to your phone and the payments are made instantly. So if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, all those excuses that uh, suppliers too often, or customers rather, too often had in trying not to pay you money, well, they're a thing of the past now. You can simply touch iPhone to iPhone and payments will be made immediately. It looks like it's going to be coming along in the iOS 15 update, which is going to be coming out later this year. And I just don't know why more people aren't talking about that. It really is such a great idea. And I say, the fact that payments can be made easier and quicker, and I guess it's going to depend on which bank you're with as to how quickly the money shows up, but it will give you a receipt that money's been paid immediately. So I think that's a stunning idea. Looking forward to that very much in iOS 15 when that comes out. Now, as you know, Apple are big into their privacy and they've cost Facebook a princely sum recently uh, because Apple has been ever more stringent on their privacy measures through their iOS apps, it's cost Facebook an estimated $10 billion uh, because it's now much harder for websites and apps to track users' habits. As we know, Facebook and Apple have often been uh, at loggerheads over the issue of data. Apple are very much pro keeping it very safe. And Facebook, as we know, tend to like to use our data for reasons of gaining advertisers. It's kind of how their business model works. Yes, I'm an Apple fan. And the fact I think they do have more time for our privacy is one of the features I've always liked about Apple. But uh, I don't know what the full fallout of this is going to be between Apple and Facebook, but certainly the fact that it's cost Facebook so much money. Uh, They did announce great earnings. Their revenue was $33.67 billion, but it uh, came up a little bit short of what the analysts were expecting. So although they're still a clearly hugely profitable business, Facebook, uh, they are not going to be best friends and sending Christmas cards to one another over from Apple to Facebook, that is for sure. Now, AirTags continue to make news. Of course, they brought about uh, as an idea of trying to track items that you'd lost. It was done with the best intentions in mind. 
And we're talking about the, the cleverest of the clever people over at Apple that came up with these things, launched just about a year ago now. The idea was that you would simply register an AirTag to your uh, Apple uh, to your Apple name, and then your Apple ID rather, and then you would uh, be able to attach one of these AirTags to, say, your keys, your glasses case, your wallet, uh, a rucksack that might have belongings in, and you'd be able to find it by using the iOS network with the billions of users that they've got, and you'd be able to track missing things down. So whether they're indoors, I'm sure you know the basics of how they have uh, been meant to be used at least. Well, of course, there's always going to be a risk. And this is something I have written about over on Medium. There's always going to be that chance that they're going to be used inappropriately. And there have been a few cases. And it just tends to be the case that when something gets uh, misused and it's an Apple product, it's always going to get and garner bigger headlines simply because simply because it's Apple and people want to make headlines from Apple News. And recently in Connecticut, a man was arrested there. It was an ongoing case of domestic violence. And the man has been charged with both first-degree stalking and violation of a protective order. Both apparently are uh, felony offences, and he's going to face sentencing at the end of March. I'm sure there'll be more headlines about it. I don't know, do you use them? I haven't used them, I admit. I shouldn't be saying this too loudly, I know, but I tend to be fairly careful with the products that I have. Uh, So I haven't found reason to uh, use AirTags yet. I've got several friends and colleagues who use them to great effect. And again, I've written over on on Medium, ways that you should check on your iPhone in the Find My settings just to check that no AirTags have been put around you that you didn't know. But it's worth checking every now and again, not only for yourself, but for loved ones as well. On the whole, they are a thing for the good. And let's face it, it's not as if these air tags are the only method of tracking. There's plenty of other fairly inexpensive methods that you can find online to buy if you really did want to use them in a malevolent way and track somebody rather than tracking your belongings or even pets. But because, as I said, it's Apple, it's, um, well, yeah, it gets the headlines when things go wrong. But... Just beware. Do check in your Find My that uh, there are no tags around, particularly if you're married, got a girlfriend, got a daughter. Just check that they're safe and no air tags have indeed been put around them. As I mentioned, if you want to get in touch with me, it's dead simple to do. It's uh, over on email, david at talkingtechandaudio.com, or you'll find me on Twitter there. You can drop me a message, D Talking Tech. They are the two best ways to get in touch with me. And uh, the channel over on YouTube, by the way, has been running for about four or five months now. It's been an odd transition, I can tell you. I've enjoyed every single moment of it. The business behind YouTube fascinated me. I spent months with the idea of wanting to start a channel and didn't quite know what I was going to do or how I was going going to go about it. And uh, I began to really get serious with it in the last quarter of last year. The channel went live in September. As you'd expect, plenty of mistakes, plenty of horrible videos early on. Um, I'm finding my way slowly, but uh, I just thought I'd mention it to say that if you're thinking of starting your own YouTube channel, honestly do it. It's so much fun. It really is a fantastic thing to do. There's loads of help there in the back room of YouTube Studio for you. The analytics are second to none. It will tell you everything and it really will help you see where you're going right, where you're going wrong, what you've got to concentrate on. That side of it certainly appealed to me. It's not easy to establish an audience and it's not easy to niche down if indeed that is a thing. And you will find your way. I certainly started out with a couple of ideas in mind and the channel didn't go the way that I necessarily thought it was going to do. 
going to go rather. And it's uh, it's gone in a direction very much of talking audio and particularly about talking headphones, which is fine. It was something that uh, was I was very passionate about through my years in radio. I've got a fair knowledge of headphones. I've used a fair number of them over the years. And it seems that people really enjoy watching YouTube videos about headphones, which of course is an odd one and a hard one to do because I'm trying to describe sound to people. So uh, it was an odd way that the channel went, but I'm really super happy with how it's going. Uh, do go and take a look. Let me know what you think. And it really was just to say that if you're thinking about starting a YouTube channel, then do. Honestly, it, I don't think you'll regret it. If it's at the back of your mind, now is as good a time to do it as any. It's still near the beginning of this year as I'm recording this. And I don't think you'll have any regrets if it's been one of those things nagging away in your mind. Go and start a YouTube channel. It's rather weird. You spend a lot of time looking at yourself, <laughs> which uh, I had to get used to. I was used to hearing my voice, sure enough, from all the years in radio. But what I was not used to seeing was myself on camera. And it's quite soporific, I can tell you early on. But uh, again, like listening to your voice, you do get used to it. So if you're thinking of starting a channel, I would suggest doing. If you think I can be any help to you, then again, get in touch. I've told you the ways that are very simple to do that. I'd love to hear from you. Back to the news then. So if you've got friends who are Android users, yes, they, they do exist, I promise you. <laughs> and uh, you are, of course, on an iPhone. Then sending reactions to messages up until now has always been kind of awkward. I wasn't aware of how they came across on Android phones, but um, they really did look odd. So if you were to drop a, a like or a laughing face at your end in iMessage, over at their side, it would actually type out the words laugh or like. It was a very odd way of going about it. And that, of course, is because iMessage is locked in to iOS and I can't see Apple wanting to share that MMS platform anytime soon. Now, you may well have seen the headlines recently about the blue bubble versus green bubble. Over in the States, it is a massive problem with youngsters often being bullied, even would you believe, just for the sake that they haven't got iMessage and the fabled blue bubbles. Over in the States, they're not as big a users as we are of WhatsApp. In this country, it's hard for us to understand uh, the furore that is currently going on about the messaging uh, systems because a lot of us over here use WhatsApp. But over in the States, that's not the case. And in the States, they are also massive, massive users and buyers of iPhones. And particularly the uh, demographic they're looking at, which are the 17 to 25-year-olds. Have you got any idea of the percentage of users of that age group that are iPhone. It absolutely staggered me when I found out it's approaching 75% of that age group are on iPhone, which obviously means they're on iMessage as well. So the uh, green bubble versus blue bubble is a real debate, a real issue. As I say, it has caused some consternation, it's caused bullying, and that can never be a good thing. Yes, there are talks with the new messaging formats that are being discussed, the RCS format, that things might change in the future, but there's a lot of hurdles yet to jump over before iMessage, Apple and Android are all compatible and good friends. But one step forward that has been made now, if you make a reaction to a message that's going from an iPhone over to Google Messages on an Android phone, at last now, in the latest Android operating system, they will finally be getting those reactions coming through the way that you intended and the way they look on your screen. So there is a small development going on there, which um, is at least a step in the right direction. Now, something I covered on a blog recently 
was Apple's losing their grip on the App Store. I've got mixed feelings on this. Um, I wrote about it in a blog recently, and I've seen a couple of videos on YouTube about it as well. I must admit, being the businessman that I am, I'm kind of behind the opinion that Apple built the platform. They built this huge platform, the App Store, that so many people want to be a part of. It's going on to their devices. They are hosting, serving, delivering us that service, which comes at a cost. They've built a tremendously successful business. But there now seems to be uh, legislation going through over in the States. It's a bipartisan vote that went through 21 to 1. And that bill is looking to try and break the monopoly that Apple has on you having to buy and install apps through the App Store on iOS devices, and they are now trying to find a way that you can install and run third-party apps directly onto iOS devices. Now, I can see there is an argument for it. Yes, Apple have become hugely successful. Yes, they make an awful lot of money. But isn't that what running a business is about? If any of us could build a business that was hugely successful and generating profit, wouldn't we want that to be the case? Wouldn't we be happy and proud of that being the case? But it seems that almost you can become too successful. And that certainly seems to be what's happening with Apple, that um, the government is now trying to debate whether they are too big and too successful and that you should be able to buy apps, run and install apps from third-party vendors directly onto iPhones. It looks uh, likely that it's going to be going through as well. So I don't know. I'd like to know what your view on that is. Um, I just tend to think if they've built the house, then they surely should make the rules. They're not breaking any rules. They've just become (laughs) hugely, hugely successful, which I would have thought could only be a good thing. But there you go. Uh, Again, it's this instance of when Apple does something, it becomes very big news very, very quickly. So it looks like things in the App Store could be changing very soon for Apple. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of heated debate Uh, both on Twitter and probably on YouTube and certainly in the courts as this begins to come to fruition and reality. But it looks very likely that things are going to be changing over in the App Store. Now, one of the developments you may have remembered being spoken about uh, fairly recently was the fact that Apple had announced that you were going to be able to repair your own devices. And I don't think that program is up and running up uh, yet, their self-repair program. It's going to be launching soon, but to go hand in glove along with that self-repair program is now a trading tool that, again, is going to be, well, it's being beated at the moment, I believe, or baited, rather, at the moment in one of the iOS um, updates. It could well be coming to 15.4 later this year. And this trading tool means that your camera will be able to take cosmetic scans of your current device. So if you walk into an Apple store and say you want to trade your phone in, they'll now be able to use your phone to take cosmetic and, I guess, forensic Uh, images of your phone so it can determine the state of the phone if the screen's cracked how many hairline scratches there are what the case is like if the glass on the back's in good state they're going to be able to make a fairly good call on the state of your iphone that will then get sent off to apple they will be able to look at it and make a decision on how much your device is worth and all in all i think what that's going to mean is that there should be less delay and less aggro at the back end so if a price has been agreed upon that they won't suddenly come back and say, ah, having received your device, it's only worth such and such and we need to take some money back from you. So again, I think these two things working together seem very, very well timed. And certainly the fact of this trading 
the idea that your device can be checked on the day that you're there, I think can only possibly be a good thing. And uh, that's something I, th I say I think will be coming out a little bit later on this year. Now, under heading more money than sense, <laughs> and, and it's awful as well, it doesn't even look nice. I know many people with the uh, AirPod Maxes, the four to five hundred pound over the head headphones that they uh, began selling a year or so ago. They come with this weird little kind of soft neoprene case. It doesn't do much to protect them, but it's, it's kind of what you get. It puts them into a low power state mode when it's in the case. And that's what you get when you buy those ridiculously expensive noise-cancelling headphones. And yes, I still do want some at some point, probably. The only problem I've got with them, you know, is I don't think I've ever seen anyone wearing them out and about. And I don't know if they'd be a bit of a target. I don't know if I'd feel a bit self-conscious. Because uh, anyone seeing you wearing those knows that you're kind of walking along with <laughs> 500 pounds on your head. A, it means they could be, certainly if you're like a busy city centre like London, would you not be prime suspect for having them stolen? And just generally walking around, I don't know if it paints the right picture, but still, I'd quite like them. It's just I can't necessarily reconcile with myself whether I'd be wearing them out and about. But anyway, back to the more money in a sense. You can now buy yourself the Ofido Gucci case for your AirPods Max. It's a real thing. It's online only. <laughs> Believe it or not, it costs £645. It's exactly what you'd expect of Gucci. Very much the Gucci style and look. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be an improvement or not to the way that you're <laughs> seen if you're carrying your AirPod Max around. If they're not on your head, then um, the fact that you're carrying them around in this Gucci case. I don't think it's going to endear you to many more people, but go and take a look. I've put a picture over on one of my blogs and you might just like to take a look at that as well. I don't know if you'd already seen about that, but uh, it's actually a real thing. So I've currently got, let me think, I've got three Macs that are up and running on a day-to-day -day basis. I've got a horrible, awful 21.5-inch uh, Intel iMac that uh, I had to buy very quickly one day. I, I had something stolen. I had a Mac from a car stolen. A MacBook was stolen. I needed a Mac for the broadcast I was doing that weekend. And it was the only Mac that I could get my hands on there and then. But it is woeful. It is awful. It is so slow. It is now relegated to merely looking at emails, watching content and doing the odd spreadsheet on. It's no good for anything other than that. But that is one of the Macs I have. The worst Mac I've ever bought. I have a 2015, sorry, 2019 MacBook Pro that I use, one of the Intel Butterfly keyboard versions, and it's a great machine. You know? It's got me through loads and loads of hours of editing for my YouTube channel. I recently made a video about it. If you want to go and take a look at that, I'll try and remember to put details of that in the show notes, uh, the podcast notes for this particular podcast. So I run that laptop on a day-to-day -day basis, which is great. It means I can be mobile as well. And then the main workhorse is still my 2015 uh, Intel-based iMac, 27-inch, and it's fully spec'd up graphically. I also run a graphic design business. So this Mac was bought very much with that in mind. And even though it's a staggering six years old, it still does its work unbelievably well. And that's still my main workhorse. But last year, I was sent into a bit of a spin with the uh, release of the brand new MacBook Pros so fast. My work has obviously kind of changed direction roughly at the same time that those MacBooks came out into a lot of video editing for my YouTube channel. I'd never been a video editor before. I've been used to audio, but the file sizes, audio compared to video, just don't compare anything video. I shoot and upload in 4K. And... I, the raw file I shoot in 10-bit log 
uh, I actually shoot on my iPhone. I use the Filmic Pro app, but I shoot in 10-bit log. And those files, I generally shoot for around about 30 minutes or so before they get edited down to about a 15, 10 to 15 minute video. Those files can be 15 to 20 gigs. They are enormous. Now, the biggest, one of the biggest delays I have in my workflow is getting the file off of the phone over to the Mac. And the best way I found to do that, I used to do it on AirDrop, but I found I was, well, apart from it taking a very long time, I also found that I was having issues with the audio not going over correctly. Not that I use the scratch audio that's with the video file. I record that separately into Audition, but I need that scratch audio to be perfectly aligned so that I can obviously align my uh, good audio to it. And I found those problems when I was doing over AirDrop. Don't know if that's a real thing or not, but I certainly was having some issues. So now I use Image Capture on the Mac. It's a native app you'll find on your Mac. I use Image Capture and grab the files off the phone. But anything that's video related is absolutely huge. Coming back to the Macs, of course, that means that when I'm editing, I'm moving around big files. And without a doubt, the biggest slap in my workflow is the fact that uh, exporting, rendering exporting takes me an awful long time. Even on this 2015 iMac that I was speaking about, it still takes to export a 10-minute video is taking around about 25 to 30 minutes. And that's absolutely dead time. And also, it means that Mac is pretty much not uh, going to be good for doing anything on because all of its resources are going towards rendering at that point. So the Mac is rendered pretty useless. So when the MacBook Pros came out last year, I was tempted. Two reasons that I didn't jump straight in. One was the uh, £3,500 price, not cheap, <laughs> not exactly back of the sofa money. But uh, still, I thought, well, it's a work investment, which would double up also to help me run the YouTube channel. So it kind of almost seemed good news, uh, the kind of news I needed. But I prevaricated because that is still a huge investment into any small business. That was one of the reasons. And the other reason was, no matter how gorgeous that 16-inch screen is, and I'm sure it's a big display for a 16-inch. I've looked at them in person. I've watched many videos on them. But it's still, at the end of the day, a 16-inch screen. And I just don't like working on a smaller screen. I don't like working on the MacBook Pro's 15-inch screen. And I don't think I'd be that happy working on the 16-inch screen of the new MacBook Pros. Now, as I say, I, they are gorgeous displays, those 120 hertz refresh rate, what's the way, 120 hertz refresh rate pro display, um, the displays that come with the MacBook Pros are beautiful, gorgeous displays, but nonetheless, it is still 16-inch. And I don't know if it's my age or not, <laughs> but the kind of work I do, which is often, obviously, in Premiere Pro, editing timelines, and working on video, or also, of course, working in audio with Adobe Audition, I just need more screen uh, more screen space. And equally, in the graphic design work that I do, working in Photoshop or InDesign, I just need more screen space. So that put me off. Uh, the two reasons, cost and the size of the screen. And yes, I know you can go and get yourself a pro display XDR, but uh, with the stand, that's £6,000. And if I've just spent £3,500 on a MacBook, I don't think I'd want to be spending out that kind of money to replicate the beautiful screen that would be tucked away in clamshell mode. Yes, you can get an LG Ultrafine 5K monitor, but again, it all costs money. So I was then very tempted. Well, I've been thinking two ways. I was tempted with the iMac that was released last year, the M1 iMac. That did take my attention for a while. And I seriously looked at them because they do represent great value for money. But buying them now means that you're going to really be buying 
old technology because already we've got the M1 Pro and the M1 Max that have come out. And this year, it looks that we're going to be, it looks very likely that we're going to be getting newer chips as well. And those newer chips could, for the first time, be seen in the new 27, 30 or 32 inch, depending what you believe, the iMac that's going to come out. It seems it's going to be called an iMac Pro. And uh, I think that would fit in well with their model line at the moment. So you'll have the iMac, which is more consumer use. Then for prosumer use, you'd have the iMac Pro. It looks like it's going to be an absolute beast of machine. Almost the way they're describing it is if we're going to have two iMac Pro chips inside it running alongside one another. So the figures they're beginning to put out at the moment sound like it's going to be frighteningly quick. I'm sure it's going to come at a price bump. I would have thought they're probably starting around about £2,600, £2,800 or dollars, something like that. But I mean, they're talking that uh, it'll be able to handle up to 20 CPU cores and possibly even up to 64 GPU cores with 128 gigs of unified memory. And you think at the moment, uh, some of the Mac minis and the iMacs are coming with 16 gigs of unified memory. 128 gigs of unified memory is being spoken of. I don't know who would need that kind of performance, but the one thing I do love about it, of course, is the large screen. The screen itself hasn't been confirmed yet as to what size it's going to be, as I say, I think the good money seems to be on it uh, still being a 27-inch, but there are rumours it could jump to 30 or 32. And if it's 32-inch, that would be the same size as the Pro Display XDR that I mentioned a little bit earlier on. I've never seen one of those, have you? Again, a bit like the AirPod Pros. <laughs> I don't think they're out there in regular use in the real world, are they? But these new iMacs do look like they are going to be stunning professional machines. I'll be really tempted. I'm sure the absolute base model is going to be more than enough for the kind of, even the kind of work I do, video, graphic design work and so on. I'm sure the base model of any of these new Macs would be more than enough for me. But I'd love to know, have you bought one of the MacBook Pros? Am I missing out? Do you think I'd regret not having a larger screen? Does the 16-inch screen work for you? Um, I'm not sure which way to go. I think, I think at some point this year, I need to look at a newer Mac because I'm waiting far too long for these renders and exports to happen. And I don't know if I'm alone in this, but uh, it always seems to be the case that when you've made that final export render and you're watching it back before you upload it to YouTube, you always notice one mistake, which means you've got to do the whole export thing again. And that would be another 25, 30 minutes waiting for the, uh, the video file to export and render out. So I think at some point this year, I need to look at options of, uh, of ways to maybe increase the speed of my workflow up. And certainly for me, the Mac would be a good workflow uh, increase insofar as it would double up not only for the YouTube work I do, the audio work I do, and also for the graphic de design business that I run as well. So uh, watch this space. I've got a feeling that a new Mac will be coming. So that's it. That's the first episode of Minus 16. And by the way, if you're wondering why the uh, podcast is called Minus 16, it's simply because that's the loudness standards that I set this podcast to before I send it over to Apple Podcasts and to Spotify and Google Podcasts. It goes out at Minus 16 Luffs. So the Minus 16 was really just a little nod to you audio nerds out there just like me. I thought you might find it quite funny. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of this podcast. As I say, they will be, I think, fortnightly to start with. And if I find that I have more to talk about, I can obviously jump on at any time and bring you a podcast in between. It'd be lovely to hear from you. You can get in touch with me over on Twitter at D 
talkingtech or on email, which is david at talkingtechinaudio.com. Don't forget to check me out on Medium, check me out over on YouTube and also over on the website, talkingtechinaudio.com. Leave me your email address. And uh, I think it's going to be a few months away yet, but as soon as I've got enough people on the database, I'll start making a midweek video just to let you know what's going on in the studio here. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you next time around. Thank you.